Well, good morning. My name is Gregory Hyde, and uh, some of you know me. And for those of you who know me, you're probably thinking right now, Gregory, you are looking pretty scruffy this morning. This has a story. Uh, I'm currently serving on our transition team. And as we were taking on the role of temporary leadership within the church, we were looking at the different roles and obligations that we had. And as we were looking at our church bylaws for Antioch Wheaton, apparently to be on the stage and preach, I am required to either have a hipster beard or a tattoo right here. And so my wife vetoed the tattoo on my forearm, so I'm growing a beard. <laughs> True story actually is my, my second oldest son, Julian. He, was, uh, he saw a picture of me with a beard from years ago, and he was like, wow, I've never known you with a beard. Would you grow a beard for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. All right, so anyway, I'm growing a beard. But it's a beard, so it was a guy thing. It's not like, an, oh, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah. We're, we're men. We're growing beards. Sports, yeah. It's funny, I'm going to talk more about this exact thing a little bit later. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so today we are talking about love. Do we have that awesome image up there? <gasps> Look at that. Faded in. That's, dude, Dara for the win. That's awesome. So yeah, we're talking about love. And so right off the bat, you're thinking, wow, you guys are obviously new at this because churches talk about love in February, guys. And yeah, the, a lot of churches do, and February is the love month, but as we were starting this whole transition season off, the subject of love just kept getting put on our hearts. When we would have prayer nights, man, we were just really feeling like the Holy Spirit was highlighting certain passages of the Bible that had to specifically do with how we love each other. And so because of that, we started looking at sermon topics to talk about for this, for this new year, and the subject of love kept coming back up. So we thought, Let's, let's do what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, regardless of whether it's February or not. So that's why we're talking about love this month. So love is a super deep concept, obviously. And even though we're going to be taking a few weeks to talk about it and have this series, we could do a year-long series and we would just be scratching the surface. It's so incredibly deep and complicated. But we're going to try anyway. And uh, so it's, it's going to have to skip some stuff and... At times, it's probably going to feel like, like getting a crash course five-minute lesson on deep-sea underwater oil rig welding. So it's like, all right, real quick, uh, here's the thing that does the welding. Uh, that's your oxygen line. Be really careful with that. Uh, don't make any mistakes or you'll kill yourself and everybody on the oil rig, and you'll cause a global natural disaster uh, that's going to be environmentally impacting our world for decades. But get down there and have fun. And don't come back up too quickly or your brain will explode. So love can sometimes seem every bit as stressful and like high tension as that sort of an example. And it seems like we all get launched into this world of tons of relationships, friendships and family members and coworkers and classmates, spouses, employers, employees, and even the people that we encounter on a daily basis that we're meeting for the first time. And we're supposed to love all of them, but we don't have like really solid training on how to love. And no doubt, the negative impact that can happen when we don't love others well, or when we haven't been loved well, can feel just as catastrophic and far-reaching as the massive explosion in that Mark Wahlberg movie. Not the one with the talking robot cars, the one where he blows up a deep-sea oil rig. It's tying it in. Um, but we, <laughs> we all love love, though, right? I mean, 
most everybody, except for the occasional punk rock song. It's like, yeah, we love love. Everybody loves love. Look at our songs, look at books and poems and movies, even the ones with talking robot cars. Just about everything in popular culture, love is like the central theme. It's like the central element. It's the thing that we're chasing. Finding love is the climax to most of these stories. Love lost is what breaks our hearts, but love regained and love triumphing over hate and evil is what we're all cheering for at the end of the movie. And we all agree with these memes about how people and relationships are more important than material things in our lives, right? Tell my wife I love her. Those are the most often said last words of soldiers who die in battle. When we're on our deathbed and we feel like our life is in danger, we all respond the same. We all turn to the people that we love. We don't check our 401k. We don't scroll through our Instagram feed. We don't check the football game score. We find the people that we love and we tell them, I love you because love is what matters to us most. And you know, whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, you probably agree that this is the most important thing and should be the most important thing to us. But we would also agree that we don't always love very well. Just look at our culture. Despite love being so incredibly prevalent in art and songs and movies, do we do a very good job of loving people well? Do we ever see people who are hurt and broken from a lack of being loved? Yes, all the time. The homeless, gang violence, sex slavery, human trafficking, drug addiction, self-harm, suicides, the list goes on. And those are only like the big ticket items because a lack of love can hurt us in smaller ways too. What about people who have just grown cold because they feel like they've got an unloving parent? They feel unloved by anybody at school or at work. They feel like they're in an unloving marriage or they just feel lonely being in a new town. We all know people that in big ways and small ways have been hurt by these things and they're suffering from a lack of love. So we fall down on this all the time. Why? If love is so important to us, if love is shown all around us, why don't we get it right more often? So though I've mentioned that in popular culture, we see love a lot, it also seems like popular culture has identified this as a major problem of ours because we continually hear that we need to love each other more. You know, when these big catastrophes and crises happen across the world, it's like, oh, there just needs to be more love. Peace and love, man, you know? Thanks, Ringo. Love conquers all, right? We hear things like this. All love is equal. In the new Star Wars movie, and don't freak out because I'm not going to give away any spoilers, um, there's, there's a major moment that's centered around this one character saying that saving what they love is going to be the thing that's going to help them triumph over tyranny and evil instead of destroying what they hate. George Patton would completely disagree with that, but uh, I digress. <laughs> but we need more love. Everybody thinks that's true. But we don't always agree on what that's going to look like. It seems like a lot of the times we're not even talking about the same thing because what one person calls love, somebody else calls sin. An action that one person says is done in love, another person says that's judgment, that's punishment. Is that love or is that cowardice? 
Is that love or is that lust? Is that love or manipulation and control? And it seems in this day and age, if you disagree with somebody, that's immediately labeled hate, which is the opposite of love. So is love just another word for approval? Can we love somebody and disagree with them? Can we love somebody and disagree with them a lot? It all seems really subjective and relative. How can anybody say that their version of love is superior to somebody else's definition? So I think before we can talk about how we love others well, we've got to understand what love truly is. And so that's why this first segment in the Love Is series is called, What Is Love Anyway? <laughs> because we all agree that love's beautiful and wondrous, but we should also agree it seems kind of complicated. Now here's part of the reason why it's mostly complicated for us Westerners. Linguists, who are people who study language, they say that in a culture, if that culture has multiple words for one certain thing or action or subject, then that thing is usually a lot more important to that culture. Here's an example. In Indonesia, they have rice. So do we. But in Indonesia, they have multiple words for rice. They have a word for rice when it's out in a field ready to be harvested. They have a word for rice when it's actually in a bag ready to be bought at a store, and they have a word for rice as it's being prepared to be cooked, and they have a word for rice when it's actually cooked and ready to be eaten. Rice is really, really important to Indonesians because that's their main food. Sometimes people live and die based upon a rice crop. It's important. Their economy gets majorly impacted by rice. For us, we have one word. We call it rice. Why? Because it's just one more starch to put on our plate. It's not a big deal. There are words that we have multiples for, like car, SUV, automobile, hatchback, crossover. <laughs> I could go on and on and on, right? In English, we've only got one word for love. A lot of other languages have multiples. The Hebrew language had multiple words for love. So did the Greek language. And those were the languages that the Bible was written in. And so Bible translators had a problem getting the Hebrew to be expressed properly in English. So because of this, some biblical passages, they lose a little impact. And some biblical passages get a little bit confusing because we have a limited view on love because of our language. This is why it's really hard for two guys to say, I love you to each other because it's the same word we use for our spouse. <laughs> it seems awkward, right? So the best we do is, love you, bro. Right? Love you, bro. Bump it. We, we, we can't look another man in the eyes and go, I love you. Dude, great skills out there on the court today. I love you. You can't do that. You imagine sending a text, like to a coworker or a classmate or something like, hey, thanks so much for your help on that project. Love you. That works, right? That's, that's nice. We're used to that. Thanks so much for your help on that project. I love you. <laughs> now we got to have one of those DTR conversations where we determine the relationship, what's going on here. So we're trying to grapple with different ideas of love and how that relates to friendship and family and romantic relationships, and how we should love the entire human race, and we're just stuck with this one same word. 
And our cultural understanding of love is so shallow and sometimes downright twisted, we're conflicted with how to walk this out. And out of all those different kinds of relationships, we see society's ideas of how to love romantically the most, right? You've seen examples of how to love somebody in a dating relationship on a 35-foot screen hundreds of times. But how often do we see something that tells us how we're supposed to love our kids through being bullied? Not as often. How do you love somebody through an eating disorder? How do you love someone who disrespects you? How do you forgive somebody who's never asked you to forgive them? Marky Mark will not be starring in a summer blockbuster about any of those aspects of loving somebody anytime soon. Why? Because it's not fun to watch. It's easy to love when we feel loved. When it turns into hard work, things get difficult. We tend to shy away a little bit. But let's take a look at one of the many passages in the Bible that talk about this to see what God has to say about love. So we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. Some of you may find this really interesting. This book, 1 John, was actually written by a guy named John. <laughs> sorry. Um, dear friends, sorry, the, uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Does that sound like what our culture is talking about when we talk about love? In our world, don't we most often hear about love as part of somebody saying they fell in love, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to say that or it's wrong to talk about being swept off your feet or to use that phrase to describe how you were so attracted to your spouse when you guys met. But, but just think about the wording. We fell in love. I fell in love. How often do we fall on purpose? If you're over the age of 30, it's probably been a long time. <laughs> but what kinds of things do we fall into? Kind of implies that you just sort of fall in or fall out with no control or effort. And we see that played out. Well, we just fell in love. Well, I just fell out of love, right? But let's look at Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. 1 Corinthians 13. This is called the love chapter of the Bible. And if you've been to more than one wedding, you have heard somebody's niece awkwardly mumble their way through this entire thing. But here it goes. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's thinking about others. It's not inflating itself. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Seeing a lot about others, not on itself, right? It is not easily angered. It's loving to keep your cool. It keeps no record of wrongs. I want to take a break here, just on this one. God is not waiting for you to screw up. 
God is not keeping a tally sheet and thinking, you have blown it so many times, and you're just going to keep on doing the same thing, aren't you? That's not him. He does not do that. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you have asked him to forgive your sins, they're gone. God is never the one reminding you of your past failures. That's somebody else. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It does not delight in evil. If there's anything that our world calls love, that God's word says is not, it's not. And love does not delight in that. And love does not celebrate that. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Does that sound like something you could just fall into? Falling's easy. You just let gravity take over. <laughs> These things ain't. Especially the last one, never fails. Is never failing as easy as falling? <laughs> Here's something else that Paul told the early believers. This is Galatians 5, 14. He said, for the entire law, which the law was the, the list of rules that the people of God, it was like, live your life like this. This is all the stuff you got to do. It was huge and it was really hard. But he says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And let's not forget that Jesus threw out the ultimate high bar and told us all, don't just love your neighbor, love your enemies as yourself. My buddy Joel was talking with his five-year-old son about this exact passage, and his five-year-old kid spoke up, and he's like, wait, 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 so who are my enemies? Let's see, I'm supposed to love my enemies, so who do I have to love? Let's see, there's, is it uh, that kid at school, he's kind of mean to me, kind of bullies me, is he my enemy? Joel's like, oh, well, uh, well uh, my homeroom teacher, she's really mean, she's really strict, she is my enemy. And he said he was kind of locked up by it. It was, it was kind of funny, but we tend to do this ourselves, don't we? We kind of identify enemies. Are the North Koreans our enemy? Are people from that political party my enemy? Is that person at church who hurt my feelings, are they my enemy? I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that to me but I'm supposed to love my enemies, so I won't unfriend them, I'll just unfollow them. We can't get stuck on identifying enemies when we're supposed to be focusing on loving them. Think about it this way. If I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor just like I would love me, and then I'm supposed to love my enemies in that same way, what is that saying? I think Jesus is saying, read between the lines here. If you are supposed to treat everybody with as much love as possible, who's your enemy? You don't have one. The world is just filled with people you're supposed to love. And the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil spirits, the influence of Satan on this world, not the people in it. So how do we love other people well? Whether they're our friends or their enemies, how do we love others well? Well, if you want to love others well, you have to love yourself first, right? We've all heard that before. 
It looks really good on a Pinterest wall. Love yourself first, and then you can give other people love. And that sounds great. Whitney Houston had a really huge hit song kind of about that from the 80s. Anybody remember the 80s? Just me? Okay. Um, well, there was a song from an artist named Whitney Houston. She was a really great singer. Here are some of the lyrics from it. It was a huge smash hit because I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> because, no. <laughs> because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. It's easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It was a really popular song. A lot of people liked it. We know that singing or writing a song isn't the same thing as living it though, right? I am a huge music geek and I've studied the careers and lives of a lot of different songwriters and musicians in the music industry. Something that is so commonplace that it's no longer shocking to me at all. The famous songwriters who write the most about peace and love and kindness and imagining a world with no hate or hurt, those are almost always the ones who physically abused their wives and kids, they were unfaithful, they abandoned their families, they betrayed and swindled their closest friends and business associates. Almost every last one of them. Whitney Houston herself, we unfortunately found out, struggled with her self-worth. The eulogies that were given at her funeral, they talked about how she was so talented and she had this great voice and she had this smile that could light up a room and she was such a wonderful person, but she struggled with her self-worth. She was haunted by feeling like she was never good enough. She was constantly chasing the love and approval of her mother and she was trapped by depression and self-destructing behavior. But maybe these songwriters and singers were on the right track, but they just didn't do it right because they had all the trappings of fame, right? You know, so for normal people, we could do that. So I thought, well, how would I do that if I was going to go about it? How, how do I love myself first? So I did a search. If you Google how to love yourself, <laughs> right, yeah, make sure the safe search filter is on. But here's the number one result. It's a blog article on 30 ways to love yourself. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all 30, but I'm going to go through some of these. Here's one. Reunite with old friends from high school, college, and your past in general. Let go of friendships that no longer serve you. Because that's what friendship is really all about, right? Finding people to serve you. People grow apart. It's natural and it's okay. All right, so reunite with old friends from high school, college, and my past. Um, for those of you in college, just, you know, grade school, junior high. Let go of friendships that no longer serve you. Okay, uh, next one on the list. I need to spend time with friends. Uh, next one on the list, watch that Netflix series or movie you've been meaning to see. Some of us have been killing this for the past six nights in a row. We're like... I'm on a good track here. All right. I'm loving myself. Next one. Spend time outside. Okay. So hang out with some old friends, watch Netflix, hang out outside, discover a new trail or mountain to hike, soak up the sun. This was obviously not written in Chicagoland right now. Next one. Take a lot of pictures. Take way too many. 
Are we not already doing this stuff? Is it not like kind of annoying how many pictures people are taking? Okay, so anyway, take lots of pictures, spend time outside, watch Netflix, <laughs> reconnect with old friends, get rid of the ones that don't serve me. What's the next one? Spend time with your girlfriends or guy friends. Relationships may come and go, but friends are forever. Except the ones that no longer serve me well, right? Because I got to ditch those people. All right, but obviously one of the most important themes that, that we see recurring through this is we've got to spend time with friends. Maybe the quality is debatable, but all right, next one. Spend time alone. It's okay if you want to stay home on Friday night and catch up on your DVR and eat froyo because you've had an exhausting work week. How do they even know that? I might have been phoning it in at my job for the past 10 months. Next, eat less processed food. This is the secret to loving yourself so that you can love other people. Eat less processed food. It says, if you actually knew what was in that expletive deleted, you would be disgusted. Watch this certain food documentary for more information. This is the last sentence on that one. But if you want to have fries with extra, extra ranch sometimes, do it. How to love yourself. This is a lesson in contradictions. When we try to look inside to start loving, we're conflicted. We don't know what we want. Our whims change constantly, right? What this blog says is just do what you want to do. That's loving yourself. If you love you, it doesn't matter what goes on elsewhere. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. You can be good with you. You know what the Bible says about that? It says that's complete garbage. Apart from the grace of God, we are broken, empty people. That unfulfilled, I'm not good enough feeling that Whitney Houston was battling, that is what's really deep inside of us. If you go digging for love down in there, you're going to wind up staring down a black hole. We need God's love. We need a savior to rescue us from ourselves. We need Jesus. And we don't really believe all the, you know, nobody else's opinion about me matters type of stuff. Because we all know the people who constantly tell us that they don't care what other people think of them. But they sure seem really concerned about what we think about that statement. There are people who really genuinely don't care what anybody else thinks. And believe that nobody else matters than them. Nobody else matters but them. You know who they are? sociopaths and narcissists. Our culture's view on nobody matters but you is cultivating them. In a poll that I found of social scientists, top ones in the field, it was published last month, 85% of them said they were convinced that sociopathy, sociopathy, sociopath, sociopaths were reaching dangerous levels from pop culture influence and social media. Narcissism is not only on the rise, but has been deemed a modern epidemic by social scientists in multiple countries, and ours is at the top of the list. We cannot keep turning inward to find love. It's not about find love in me, then give love to others. It doesn't work. It has to be find love in God, accept God's love, because he is love, then give that love to others.
John in the Bible, the guy who wrote John, he says the same thing. Love doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come from within your community. It comes from God. God is love. Now, a lot of people agree with that. A lot of people say, yeah, God is love. I mean, unless you're an atheist, you're like, God is love. But do we agree on that statement? Because I think a lot of people, when they say that, they're actually saying love is God. Not just that, but my idea of what love is, is God. We take our limited view on love and we paste that over the creator of the universe. And that becomes our God that we created. And then we warp our understanding because then we think, well, if God is like my version of love, then he must be like this. And this is why so many people struggle with the Bible these days, because they say, wait, 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 God wouldn't do that because God is love. So your Bible must be wrong. But if we look at this properly, then everything God has ever done was motivated by love and was done in love. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But God defines what love is, not us. Because he is love. And he was always love. Before he made anything, he had all the love he ever needed. The Trinity, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a three-part being. It's hard to wrap our minds around. But it makes perfect sense when you think of it this way. Because you can't have love all by yourself. One being can't experience or give love. But a three-part God, it's like, well, now that makes sense. He was completely fulfilled in the amount of love that he had. He didn't make us because he needed a pet to give him love, like as he walked in the door of the universe, you know? <laughs> he made us to share his love. What it said in the Bible, this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. I mean, it seems like sometimes we say, we found God. And we say that to tell people like, you know, at one point I didn't know God and now I'm close to him. But it was always God behind the scenes, orchestrating events to bring us to him. He's always the initiator. The Bible says none of us were looking for him, but he loved us anyway, even though we were his enemies. That's what it says. When he asks us to love our enemies, He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. And that's hard. The God of the Bible, Jesus himself, did some really hard things that we're still loving. Dying on the cross was not pretty or easy. The way he interacted with some people in the Bible seemed harsh, seemed rude, seemed downright mean in some cases. He said a lot of things other people really didn't want to hear. Hard things. But it was all done in love. And it was perfect love. It's the standard of love that every other love we ever experience should be measured by. And when Jesus was asked what, what the most important thing or things were to do in life, how to get to heaven, how to be good to your fellow man, he always answered with the answer that everybody expected. He said love. He said what we deeply, instinctively know, that love is what really matters. But, he said, love God first, then love other people. And yes, other religious figures have told us that we need to love as well. But all world religions are not the same. 
there is a really popular but highly inaccurate thought out there right now that all world religions are just about love. They're about loving each other. That's the secret to them. At the center, they're all just about love. Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Scientology to some degree. But with all those world religions, you have to start loving. You have to get to God. You've got to reach him. You prove yourself to God. You start loving. You start living right. You work hard. Cross your T's. Dot your I's. Pray here. Say this. Follow these instructions. And hopefully, you'll get to God. Or enlightenment. Maybe. You really won't know until your ticket gets punched. But a relationship with the real Jesus is different because he came to us. And we can know he reached us. He comes to live inside of us. We can absolutely experience it and know that we are saved. The next verse in 1 John, 1 John 4, 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, we're following out his example. If we are to love others as we love ourselves, then we should be asking, how would that other person want to be loved through this situation? How would I want to be loved if I was in that situation? Right? If you were grieving an unfathomable loss, how would you want to be loved in that moment? Would you want somebody to offer you a bunch of advice, mail you a book about it, Maybe you just want somebody to come to you and say, I have no idea what to say to you. I don't have the words for this, but my heart's broken for you, and I'm here for you, and I'd be glad to pray with you right now. Maybe somebody hurt you, like really hurt you. If you had hurt somebody like that, wronged them so much they might never recover, how would you want them to love you in spite of what you'd done? What would be the most loving thing they could say or do? And let me be clear when I talk about you being hurt. There's a difference between an emotional hurt and being in serious risk of being harmed. So if you or a loved one are in real danger from somebody else, you need to protect yourself and you need to protect your kids. Love protects, right? Remember that? Love protects. So don't let anybody else like bully you or guilt you into being in a dangerous relationship or a dangerous situation ever. Beyond that, it's going to take praying and hearing from the Holy Spirit how we should respond and how we should interact with people. Wait on God for him to give you guidance. And we're going to do that right now. So we're just going to take a minute. It doesn't need to be loud, but just ask God. Say, Holy Spirit, Put somebody on my heart. Who would you have me reach out to this week? And just wait for him to bring somebody to your mind. And once that person's there, just ask, God, how do you want me to love them? How can I show them your love? This isn't just an object lesson. I don't want this to get away from us. So if you want to make a note, Make sure that you're going to actually reach out to this person. Actually follow up. And let's make a commitment to continue to do this to the people in our midst, to those in our relationships, so that we can reach out and we can ask God first, how would you have me love this person? Ultimately, 
It's not about tips and tricks on how to interact with people. There's some great psychology out there on that, and some of it works. <laughs> but, but if you want life change, if you want something inside of you that is an overflowing source of love for yourself and others, you need the love of Jesus. That's the only way you're not going to get burnt out loving other people is because he has a never-ending supply. If you want to be able to love people around you who don't love you, accept the love of Jesus and share that with them. If you need to know how to love somebody who is going through the most difficult time in their entire life, love Jesus. Read the Bible. See how he dealt with people. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in how to interact in the most loving way with everyone you know. When we understand how much we are truly loved by him, we can't help but want to share that with other people. So if you need to be loved, you need to feel loved. Love Jesus. He has always been loving you from the beginning. Follow him. Surrender your life to him. Loving ourselves and loving others is really as easy as praying, Lord Jesus, show me your love. Please help me to love people and love myself the way you do. Amen.